0: Why, hello, and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid, had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound, and I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. And welcome. Today is a treat, treat, treat. On March 1st, 2018, I had the opportunity to talk to Rat Scabies. Best known, of course, for being the drummer of the damned. And it was a complete impromptu thing. And it may have been only the second time that I've spoken to somebody without ever speaking to them before or having any contact with them before and it's Ratscabies so I'm very excited he was in New York recording with the mutants he'll talk to about the mutants, he'll talk about the damned, he'll talk about Professor and the Madman and he has Ratscabies.com is where you can find out plenty about him he's a busy guy and Can't wait to get to the interview. I do have my guest on the line, I believe, so I'm going to forego the back announcing, and I'm sure we will mention it. Rat Scabies, are you there?
1: Yes, I am. Hello, hello.
0: Oh, I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm very well indeed. I'm having the time of my life.
0: Oh, good. Why are you having the time of your life?
1: Well, I haven't been in um, New York since, I don't think, '93. Mm hmm. And it has changed massively. <laughs> oh,
2: yes. And it's
1: such a different place. But everything, sometimes you go and, and you're kind of on a roll. You know, we landed and everything has just sort of fallen nicely into place just when we needed it to. You know, with people being around and where we stayed and just, you know, finding places to eat. And, so everything's been really good. I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast.
0: Well, welcome back to New York. Well, thank you. Yes, and, and it's exciting to explore any place, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I mean, mostly I was only ever in Manhattan before, and now we're out in the Bronx, which is, you know, really interesting these days to see the, the change, the Brooklyn rather. So, you know, mm-hmm. the difference between when I played at the Brooklyn Zoo and wandering up and down the street now is, is quite something else.
0: Nice. And so tell the listeners, please, um, why you're actually here, what this trip is about.
1: Um, well, I've been working. In a band called The Mutants, and we've worked on several projects. We've made three albums so far, and you know, they're kind of we tend to theme them. You know, we sort of the first one was a London record, and for that, we only had you know artists from London appearing on it. The next one was in Tokyo, and of course, we only had people from Tokyo appearing on that. And then we did the desert album, which was in Joshua Tree,
2: and we
1: did the same kind of thing. And and this time, we've sort of Thought we wanted to go to New York to make a record to try and capture the atmosphere. One of the you know one of the greatest cities on earth, really. Oh,
0: interesting. That's it. That's a really cool concept. And I did in the last set. I did play uh, your desert, my mind from the Joshua Tree record. Um, how long ago was that?
1: Uh, that was oh I don't know. I guess a year, two years or something.
0: Yeah, it's not that not that old.
1: No, no, <laughs> no. It's quite new, really.
0: Can you, can you give me a little bit of uh, background on The Mutants? Who's, who, who are The Mutants, aside from yourself?
1: Um, well, on this current record we, that we're doing, it's, um, uh, our bass player is, a, uh, is Chris Constantinou, who uh, played with Adam Ant for a long time. Oh, wow. And another band called The Wolfman. And um, we're very lucky. We, um, our guitar player and co-producer is Chris Goss on, on this record.
0: Oh, he's a producer. He's a yeah. that's, that's good. You get a little bit of a of a heavy uh, production. Yeah, and also we've all got a very
1: similar attitude to the way we wanted to do this, you know, the creative process. I mean, we don't really have anything, we're just sort of sitting there and jamming and making things up as we go along. And it's really coming together, it's sounding great. It is, is just that, going through some takes now.
0: Is that the way the past mutants records have been?
1: Uh, no, they were much more, you know, pre-written and generally just, you know, you we'd sort of pretty much do the backing tracks and then get someone to sing or somebody to play guitar. Like the first one we had, um, Wilco Johnson and Wayne Kramer, you know, so it's
2: sort oh,
1: of nice. played live with them. And then, you know, but some of the other stuff, you know, like we had C.B. Smith and people, but those tracks were a, a bit more structured. Shall mm-hmm, you say. Mm-hmm. In- so to get... Well, the thing is, you you have to kind of keep changing horses every time you're going to make a record. And what we wanted to do with this one was actually catch the atmosphere of the city rather than, you know, going with a lot of ideas that were written in London and hopes that they worked or that we could somehow crowbar them into place, you know, with that concept. So instead of doing that, it it was actually much better to come to New York and do it.
0: And to to actually write it, to actually write it here... So you're yeah. getting the New York, like the headspace that you're in, instead of bringing pre-written songs. I get that. That's exactly. really Yeah, that's really, that's really, that's wonderful. What have you you been eating for takeout?
1: <laughs> oh, we um, just got an amazing pizza place the other day, and <laughs> it was um, so we we just Chris had just arrived and we were saying well you know we're in New York let's get a slice of pizza and um, yes. he said if you ever want to find a good pizza in New York ask a fat guy <laughs> and there was this fat guy walking past and so that was exactly the case he knew the best pizza and we went it was just <laughs> really incredible like I, I, I would never have thought of this but the the people that ran it were really great I, you know I'm um, I plugging them, and they said, oh, you must have a dessert now. And they gave Nutella on pizza with strawberries, which I would never in a million years have thought was wow. anything like as good as it was.
0: Wow. That's, um, uh, I, I never would have either.
1: No, you don't.
0: Very interesting. <laughs> hey, speaking of strawberries, whose idea was it to do the scratch and sniff um, uh, lyric sheet in the LP version of the yeah. record?
1: It still smells today, doesn't it?
0: It does. I have mine and it still does. I have to get a little bit closer to it, but it does still have the essence.
1: Yeah, I I can't remember. We used to conceptualize quite a lot, you know, and we'd sort of have ideas. And it was one of those when we came up with the title for the album that somebody just said, hey, you know what? We could probably make it smell like strawberries (laughs) and that'd be kind of a very good subliminal promotion the record so you'd walk into the record store and you could smell our album. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, it smells good in here. Oh, it's this record, take it home with you.
1: It's just, exactly mm-hmm. exactly. You
0: know. Oh, I I love your inventiveness. That's just that's so awesome. Um and you have a lot of uh uh irons in the fire right now. So you're recording with the mutants. And Mm -hmm. then, and I have here, I just played uh, Nightmare off of the Professor and the Madman record, uh, Disintegrate Me, which we actually have here in the WFMU New Bin. Um, And you've got a solo record coming out too, is that right?
1: That's all true. Well, a Professor and the Madman were kind of a, a lucky draw, really. I went to one of those. I've never seen one before. Being English, we don't have this thing. But you know where you Americans have these parties at Christmas where everybody wears the ugliest sweater that they could find?
0: I've heard. I have not actually participated, but yes. Oh,
1: oh well, I have the edge on you because I've attended such an event. <laughs> and it was quite awesome. And Professor and the Madman were playing. And it was, you know, they they sort of they were going to do a version of Smash It Up, and they asked me if I'd join them on stage, and I did. I got up and played, got talking to them, and they were, you know, they're kind of very bright, bright guys, and they just sort of said, well, we're doing this record, you know, how about you put some drums on it for us? And then, you know, so we did, and then they're they're kind of quite big Damn fans, and they sort of said, well, our favourite rhythm section was always you and Paul Gray, so once the drums were on, they then rang up Paul and said, hey, you know, why don't you... Play bass on the record, and and it was kind of the Strawberries rhythm section with with you know Sean and uh, Alfie's take on, on kind of you know on the influence that the band had on them. I think as musicians.
0: Wow, that's uh, I'm I'm saying wow in relation to the Strawberries rhythm section because that that, that is just like a perfect rock record. So <laughs> so so amazing. Have have you been in uh, in in recent touch with Paul before that came about?
1: No, not at all. I haven't spoken to him for years, you know. (laughs) It was... No, it was just one of those things. It was kind of, you know, there's no, you know, when people depart and stop working together. Yeah. You know, it, it. that's kind of the way it gets left sometimes and you just sort of think, well, that's over, and you know. He sort of moved all the way down to Cardiff and stuff so he wasn't around in London so you never ran into him at any gigs or anything. So we just kind of, you know, lost contact and so I hadn't really heard from him at all for years. I just, You know, apart from occasional messages and stuff but that was... You know, so it's very interesting that, you know, when they... Because I, I did the track with the different, you know, all the tracks with Professor Ramab and with the different bass parts on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly hearing Paul playing again, you know, it's, it was quite... It was kind of, oh, okay, I remember how we used to do things. And you know, I have to confess, it, you know, it's good.
0: <laughs> it is good. It's a, it's a really, really good record. And um, I do want to tell people that... So it's got... Um, Alfie Agnew and what's the other guy?
1: Sean Elliott.
0: Yeah, Sean Elliott from uh, from DI. So it's uh, yeah, it, it's really a star-studded record. And 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 for me, I guess, coming from totally different places, but they must have loved playing with you because your drumming, you know, The Damned was really. Um, the punk band that was faster than everybody and I think that 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 you may be responsible for a lot of like the hardcore scene and you know Alfie Agnew has the the whole adolescence di I mean all that that background there It's a they must have just been freaking out meeting you <laughs> I'm freaking out on the phone
1: <laughs> oh, well he, no he, well he, he managed to control his bubbly emotions for long enough to to you know establish that we were all actually human beings and we'll get on and on very normal really you know just like any other punk rock legend i you know i eat, sleep and go to bed that's kind
2: of of course (laughs) yes
1: you know
2: but well it's funny
1: you know because you make a few records and stuff and and really you know the damned only ever made records to please themselves because we never really thought we were good enough for the general public (laughs) Mm. and it well you know it, it was we and I think it became part of our appeal that we did something like the Strawberries and the Black Album, you know, where we kind of suddenly veered away from what, as you say, was kind of pretty fast emotional punk rock, and we sort of veered away from that, and we we didn't really know if our audience would go with us, you know, but we knew that was what we wanted to do, and we were, I think, you know, we were kind of very lucky that our audience was sort of ready to make that same change at the same time that we were
0: oh yeah well and i think that really you expanded it wasn't a change as much as you were sort of just pushing i mean you were in that position to just you know push the bubble of what people know as punk and and, you know by the time strawberries came out or the black album like your fourth album it's like, yeah, we've we've got to do something else. I mean, I can't imagine writing the same record, you know, over and over and over again. So, of course, you want to expand in your artists. But I think that you, you know, you threw the net further and allowed punk to be more.
1: Well, and that was the whole point was always to progress. You know, you don't start learning to play an instrument and wanting to be in a band just to play the same songs for the rest of your life.
2: Which right. Is- One of the
1: things that always is kind of really difficult and really frustrating for both band and audience because the band obviously always want to move on, but, you know, the audience are there and they want to hear their favourite records, and quite rightly so. (laughs) So it always turns into a quandary, I think, you know, for the, you know, well, who do you appease, the artist or the band or the the punters, and so that makes it a very different kind of equation, you know, so it's... um, yeah, it's catch twenty two, but that's not why you do it. You do it to create. You do it because it's, you know, what you're the only thing you can do. Maybe sometimes, but it's also about progressing and moving on. You know, like when I do the Mutants and Professor and Madman, I I kind of really like those records, and they may not be, you know, selling by the million, but I really like the fact that I can put them on and play them to people, and and people like them, and and I you know i like to think that the work i'm doing is good now hmm. and and you know and moving on without having to kind of go through
2: well,
1: any other motions to make a living
0: well i'll tell you something though it, they all of your records have always been good by, by the way and are you a record collector
1: no i have I, i've I, Got vinyl, but we got house bugs, and I had to seal it up away for two years. So oh. in the meantime, I lost my deck, so I've been, you know, moving back onto c- CDs, I'm afraid to say.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I want
1: no, I, I still have them.
0: You still have uh, old vinyl, but you I don't I still have them.
1: my vinyl, but they're mm-hmm. all just sealed up in bags.
0: Oh, got just,
1: it. because of the bugs, you know, that whole thing, that's, that's they live in there.
0: That's hideous! Oh, yes,
1: isn't it? <laughs> oh. Bed bugs ate my records.
0: <laughs> I guess it's—I don't know. I think I'd rather have the the dogs or the bugs eating my homework. Um, so your your website, ratscabies. The the tagline or the sort of like the header says, "Punk Legend, Grail Hunter, c- uh, Cigar Box Guitar Maker." Yeah. So yeah,
1: my tell- I it up to all three. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: so can you tell us a little bit about I don't know how little or not little you can tell us about grail hunting and the cigar box guitar thing because those are obviously passions for you
2: well
1: yeah the cigar box guitar thing was really an accident you know my when my son came home one day with an old cigar box and I just kind of had this vague memory that it's what people used to make into guitars when they didn't have enough money for mm-hmm. to buy one so I um, had a few bits and pieces lying around and I'd, suddenly, I'd never been very good at anything like you know woodwork or stuff like that, so I just sort of sat and looked at this box and this piece of wood I had that I you knew I was going to turn into a neck, and just had to work out how to put it together. And it was kind of there was a real sort of therapy that went with it of just you know problem solving and issues and you know and how long should the how long should the neck be and where should I put the screws to hold the strings in place and and, and all of that kind of thing. And it was just suddenly a lot of brain power that I'd never really considered before and then once I built the first one and started trying to play it and make it sound like something I realized that you know one of the questions you always get asked is how do you tune it and you know you just sort of think well there isn't a way that you tune this you just do it so it sounds good and it works and you Mm -hmm. can play something and because I, I I make them so you can only play them as a slide you have to kind of you can't just go to a fret and say, no, that that's the right note. You have to actually kind of listen to what's going on, you know, and you have to kind of play and make sure that what you're doing with the instrument is in tune. So it, it kind of removes you in some ways from being a regular performer into it. It just makes it much more cerebral, I think is the word. Yeah. You know, you have to so you go on instinct and it's kind of, in, in some ways, it, it, it's a great lesson to learn. And it, it you know, it certainly did me a lot of good to do. And because once I made the first one, then the neighbor had a bunch of other boxes and said, if you make one for me, you can have these. And I did that. And then people said that they liked them. And so I ended up, I, was, I think I made about 85 or something. Now yeah.
0: That's great. Yeah, the website has some really, really beautiful pictures.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's good fun. And like, I don't do it all the time. I don't even have a workshop or anything. I just sit out on my porch and, you know just get on with it. I mean, it's kind of a great way to, I don't know, I get a great feeling of accomplishment
0: for it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And there's a certain process that you were talking about, just like having to pay attention. And it's something that doesn't go fast. It doesn't go quickly. So you have to really take your time with it. That's a nice, you know, change of pace from life and instantaneous You know communication and things that's that's really great a nice um, craft now do you play guitar
1: well i do guitarist impersonations i I (laughs) play as much as i i play as much as i can really i mean i I think pretty much everything i write you know you can do with two strings and you know i'm not very good at changing chord shapes so i always do bar chords and just go up and down the fretboard rather than playing the proper chords. But I only ever really, you know, picked up a guitar to sort of, you know, to try and write songs. And plus, you know, working with Brian James and, you know, we've had some pretty good guitar players in the dam. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: You know, so that thing of just sitting there and picking up and strumming away and then, mm-hmm. one, you know, so i saying, you know what, if you do this, it sounds like that, and you sort of just piece together bits of information, you know, and and then try and use it in a way that ends up with something that you know that I I don't know that maybe you didn't think you could do. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so when you wrote songs for the Damned, what was your tools like? Did you you said you were kind of you would sort of direct somebody to play? Well, it
1: was. It was really anything that was lying around. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like a keyboard. If, you know, you just sort of plug in an organ and play with it until something resembled a, a piece of music. And the same kind of thing with a guitar. And then I'd be very good at having small pieces of ideas. And, you know, or I'd, I'd have a chorus but no verse or an intro and a middle eight but, you know, no verse. And so... It used to work quite well, me and Captain would sit there and we'd like, you know, he wasn't far removed. And, and Roman Jug later on as well was the same. We'd
2: mm-hmm.
1: sit there and we'd just pull ideas and see how we could make it work together. And, and you know, it was it was, it was was really artistically great because it, it was, I don't know what you call it, it was a genuine collective, I think, when the damned were writing material.
0: nice. Nice. Yeah, well, and I've noticed a lot of the the records have everybody listed for song credits.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. well, we you know, it, kind of everybody. If you're in a band, you're working together. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody must have a value, and yes. and it, it, it. For example, Dave didn't necessarily write too many songs, but actually, you you know, he was incredible artist, and so when he designed logos and stuff like that.
0: Oh wow. You
1: know, it was, um, it was, you know, it. everybody has a part, you know, that, you know, a band's job is to promote everybody else's strengths and cover their weaknesses. And I think that was kind of what the damned were pretty good at. Mm. And so giving everybody the same kind of thing on, you know, on the money and the publishing, it just always seemed fair.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's a great, a great work ethic. Hey, I wanted to ask you in uh, the break in neat, neat, neat. And I don't. I mean, obviously, we're talking forty years ago. Are are there? Is there extra snare tracking in that in that sort of drum break? There, do you remember? No, there isn't. There isn't.
1: No, there isn't. Mm-hmm. That was. As it was with two hands.
0: <laughs> it sounds more. I guess that the snares maybe were a little, a little looser or something. I do have to. They might have put some
1: echo or something
2: on.
0: Okay, maybe <clears throat> maybe for the break part. And I just want to compliment you because you've always had a great snare sound. some of the earlier, you know, records that that you played on maybe were not, you know, fully mixed in uh, to 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 showcase the drummer always. But your snare sound is. Always just been one of my favorite.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah, it's just well, it's not that woody sound. I hate that woody, echoey sound that a lot of people go for because it has to cut through. You've got you have real snares, and it's just it's warm, it's just wonderful.
1: Yeah, well, almost certainly an accident. But, you know, you got to hit them hard, you got to hit them fast, and
0: that's how it works. There we go. Hey, um, we have a couple of questions from listeners. Um, okay. we, we have, uh, here at FMU, we have a live comments board. And uh, I'm on, you know, from noon to three, so a lot of people talk about their lunches, and then they'll, you know, they'll come back and they'll say, oh, I missed, you know, she played this or whatever. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody would like to know um, what drummers have been influential on you.
2: Oh,
1: um, it kind of goes, any, when I was a kid, anything that was drums, I liked. I didn't really care about the rest of it. And so there were, um, uh, in no particular order, there was people like Sandy Nelson, Dave Clark Five, um, but then jumping over to sort of English jazz players like Kenny Clare and Ronnie Stevenson. And then, you know, as I got older, then, you know, the, that kind of whole rock thing happened and then it was sort of Mitch Mitchell, Ginger Baker, Moon, you know, those those kind of blokes. Mm. But I don't know how much of an influence they were. It was just because I was kind of, learned to, well, I'm still learning to play, but I was sort of learning to play when they came through. And so I, I could, I, you know, it, it was sort of beyond me, a lot of the things that they played. I just didn't have any of that sort of technical ability. I didn't learn how to do it. So it was much more to do with the attitude and the way they played and the fact that they had a free freedom and, and all of those drummers actually, and I noticed this, you know, with me and Brian on the first album, but all of those drummers and were sort of drummer-guitarist combinations.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it was Mitchell and Hendrix, it was Townsend and Moon, it was Bonham and Page, it was Baker and Clapton, you know, and, and you realise that the bass player actually didn't really do very much in those bands, apart, generally apart from anchor down what, those guys were doing with the big dynamics, you know,
2: right,
1: and kind of complementing each other. And I think Brian and I were, you know, we we kind of grown up with that, so it was quite instinctive for us to sort of play the same way. So everything I really did was, you know, mostly about you know it's always about the guitar, you know, and and the vocals, mm-hmm. you know. If they're singing, don't play. <laughs>
0: And uh, somebody else wants to know about your use of symbols. They, Their comment is um, they remind, you remind them of uh, Keith Moon always using okay. your cymbals.
1: Well, lots of symbols. I yes. just adore the sound that they made. Always have done, always will. And there was nothing sexier than just that,
2: <laughs>
1: that kind of stormy ocean of brass.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: You know, and I—I I guess I—I kind of got nailed for it. I mean, I'm sure I wasn't the first person that did it, but you know, I did do it. I'm, and you know, they sound great.
0: And, um, do you? Is there a particular symbol that you like? Like, what? What's I'm your a, kit now?
1: I'm a—I play pasty symbols, two thousand and twos, and I have done pretty much all the way through. And I'm using a very old American Leedy kit at the moment, oh, wow. which I really, really love a lot. I've had it a few years now. I got it in um, Arizona about eight years ago. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of my magic drum kit. It's, you know, always sounds great. And I just, you know, so that's that was, uh, you know, with my premier hardware and a Ludwig Speed King bass drum kit.
0: Nice. <laughs> Nice. Um, um, oh, and somebody wants to know, um, did you actually punch Paul Weller once?
1: No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> did, did they want me to? I don't know. No. I, I don't okay.
0: know. I, you know, I think everybody deserves a punch now and then.
1: At some point, I mean, it did me good. <laughs>
0: So um, the the Mutants record that you're working on now, do you have a timeline for it?
1: Um, not really. Only that we're here now and, you know, we're here for a couple of weeks and we're just going to do as much as we can now and, and then, you know, begin the other process. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even think about a schedule. You know, I'm, I'm lucky I don't really have to... <laughs> So I'm just, you know, it'll come out, I, I, I don't know, probably in about six months, I should think.
0: Mm-hmm. And, um, well, you said you're not necessarily on a schedule, but is the your solo record, is that complete?
1: Yeah, it is. It's um, That's coming out on Cleopatra Records um, in a few months. I haven't heard from them for a while, so I'm not sure of the exact date. But it's a, a lot of things that I worked on kind of in my own studio and at home and stuff. And it sort of covers a period of years, you know, I guess, of just songs that I wrote and pieces of music and ideas that I had and some of it's funny and some of it's kind of surreal and some of it's straight ahead punk rock and some of it's a lot of drums and some of it's cigar box guitar. So, I, um, you know, it's um, a, a very eclectic record. It covers a lot of different... Each track's got a different mood, you know and I had to do things like, you know, because I didn't really have a singer, so on some of the tracks I would get perhaps the dialogue from a documentary about flying saucers and then spin some of that in and, you know, make build a track kind of around it or, you know, (laughs) I've lost you, haven't I?
0: No, no, not at all. I'm just thinking you're a singer. You can sing.
1: Yeah, well, no, no. I can barely speak, I don't know, and sing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and I, it was just a friend of mine, Matt Green at Cleopatra Records, said to me, had I ever thought about doing a solo record? And I started going through stuff that I had that's never been released or not, you know, never got used because it was the wrong time or the wrong place or the wrong style or whatever. And um, I thought, you know, it'd actually be really nice just to get this out in the open and, you know, see what people kind of, let people know what I do. Mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's kind of, you know, oh, well, he's the drummer in The Damned, and, and that's kind of how you're seen, you know, and they probably don't realize that I could, you know, that I did write a whole tune, and or I could play enough guitar to, you know, bluff my way through it. So it's, you know, for, for me, it's quite nice to be able to put that out there, I suppose.
0: Did you say bluff your way through it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's all bluff. <laughs>
0: no I think that you have the uh, the 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 chops and the, the the resume as it were to to be able to uh, to say yeah I'm putting out a solo record and that's that's that that's you know
1: well I have no expectations you see I don't yeah. I, I, I don't immediately sort of think, oh my solo album my career my life is on the line it's not really like that it's you oh, know, especially it's, it's quite now. selfish of me it's quite selfish of me really you know i'm I'm mostly putting it out for my own benefit but you're being
0: realistic about it i mean the the you know the music missus has changed so much you know people get famous (laughs) from one track on youtube and never put out a record so you're putting out a record that's great
1: yeah it's you know it's a changed world the music industry certainly isn't one that i recognize anymore
0: yes,
2: yes you know
1: it's very very different about the way things work and what people want and I to be honest I just resigned myself to the fact of you know what you're not really going to be able to compete with this there's quite a lot of people out there the damn fans still have a huge network going on and you know they're very together and I thought well those are the people that are going to be interested I'm not going to break into a new audience you know because I've got a, a record out it's really pretty much people that are damn fans are going to be interested to know what it What I sound like, I suppose. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I think that's you know why why try and you know why dream of trying to have hits or do anything bigger and better when actually you know we know it will do quite well. We know it will be okay. Yeah, but I don't have massive expectations of anything, and that way, when it you know if anything nice happens about it, then then you feel good.
0: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. so um a while ago actually a couple years ago now i had a gay advert on the program and she talked a little bit about the uh the tour that that the adverts and the the damned were on and she said that um well that there were a lot of pranks and it was really 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 a lot of fun and that what you used to do was Uh, get a bunch of shaving cream, I guess cans of shaving cream, and then pull, I'm not sure if you were in like an, I think, I remember that she may have described a van, you would pull over to the bus stops where people were waiting to get on the bus to work, and then ask people directions, and they would step forward, and you would spray them with shaving cream.
1: That was the captain, that was never me.
0: Oh, that was not you?
1: No. Oh, okay. No, that captain used to do that, he was the shaving cream guy.
0: oh. (laughs) Oh. But and and but you seem to be a a, a humorous fellow also. Is there any kind of uh, uh, story, uh, antic story that you could share with the listeners?
1: No, I haven't got anything like that on to hand at the moment. Okay. I'm just. I'm, I'm not very spontaneous like that until something triggers the memory. Oh, okay. And then I go, oh, I remember that time. Mhm. And so then, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have anything like that. You know, I don't
0: think. That's fine. That's... I
1: should have thought about it and had one ready.
0: Well, considering this phone call sort of came from, and I want to thank Vince and Randy for, for getting, it was like, you know, you were out and you end up having dinner with a friend of mine and then the we had the Professor and the Madman record here and, you know, and, and you and I never were in touch before just being on the air now. So, so. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, let's see. What do you think is uh, your favorite damned record, maybe from a production point of view?
1: Well, interestingly, I, I was out on the road and the, the driver had put on strawberries, which I hadn't listened to in about 20 years. And I just, it actually really does sound kind of good.
2: Oh, it does.
1: The quality on the thing is kind of it's, it's got something about it that's very professional. God knows how we managed to do that but it but it does and i but and then after that, I played phantasmagoria,
2: mm.
1: which at the time I, I i sort of wondered about the production. I thought it was you know i wasn't sure that it was strong enough, but then when I played it again it, I realized that actually it's a very different type of production and it it's a, in in a way it was a very ghostly record. Yes. You know, it, it, nothing was kind of really in your face or dry. Everything was kind of slightly distanced and you know, it kind of drew you into it to listen to. I think it's a very clever production by John Kelly. Mm-hmm. And, but you know there's a funny you know you, I always think I don't really want to be that sad old rock star sitting there listening to his old records
2: <laughs> yes and,
1: and actually I probably should but that's just that you know you have that image of yourself thinking oh my god that's what sados do so I'm never going to do that <laughs> and in that you you know you throw away the opportunity to actually listen to it so it was really nice when I did you know spend some time listening to the old records just to see what I actually had achieved because it had always been much too close to me I think it's have a kind of proper, you know, opinion about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to put some distance in between you. Um, you said ghostly, and I wanted to ask you, because um, we didn't really go into your grail hunter thing, but have you ever seen a ghost?
2: Uh, I've been,
1: I've never seen one directly, but there's, I've been in places where things happen. <sighs> you know, sounds and um, extreme colds and... Uh, you know, well, the sound of running water I was staying at a place called Calgary Towers which was uh, Queen Victoria's country retreat in, up in Edinburgh and I was staying up in the attic there and, and that got a bit weird, there was a very strange atmosphere and you know just a sense that something was happening that wasn't normal and not a feeling that I'd ever had before So, hmm. but that's the closest I've ever really got
0: Interesting Um, We do have another question, says, uh, can you tell us about Keith Moon and Viv Stanshaw trouser shop gag?
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy, yeah. We were lucky enough. uh, We did a a song called Lovely Money.
0: Yes, I played that today, Um, actually, yes.
1: Okay. Well, we had uh, the the voiceover in the middle is a a wonderful man called Viv Stanshaw.
0: Yes, from the Bonzo Dog Band.
1: The Bonzo Dog, not bad. Because mm-hmm. I've also been working on a charity record with Neil Innes recently.
0: Wow. Uh, who was,
1: um, yeah, with Horace from the uh, specials plays bass. Neil plays keyboard, I play drums, and we're called the Spammed.
0: The S-p- Spammed?
1: Spammed. S P A M M E D.
0: Oh, Spammed. Got it. Like spam, 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 spam.
1: Like the specials and the damned and the spam <laughs> Okay.
2: <laughs> yes
1: so I've, I've been working with him which has been really great fun because it's kind of like a charity record thing we've been doing one cancer research we, we only did it last week and we, on vocals we have a, a comedian and actor called um, Kevin Eldon who's actually just finished being in Game of Thrones so there you go the oh. pedigree so, um, yeah, so I've been working with him in the Bonzo's, and that that was kind of, you know, my Viv connection, I suppose. They're starting to want to make a noise in here. Okay. I think I may have to say goodbye quite soon, I'm
0: afraid. Okay, well, thank you. I had no idea how much time you'd be available for, so that's been really wonderful. Um, I want to just ask you, I have the Professor and the Madman CD here, and I already played Nightmare. Um, what's your favorite track on the record? Because I'll play that next. We can go out with that if you want to introduce it.
1: Oh, oh, I can't say. I guess i never learned the titles of the songs.
0: Oh, okay.
1: because <laughs> well, I don't have to.
0: Right. <laughs> I guess that's true. That's true. All
1: so, right. And, and when I play the, the, the disc, I put it on and I'll read the names, but I don't, you know, I don't like learn which one it is, but mm-hmm. I, uh, do you know what? I don't think there's a track with them that I've recorded that I, I really don't like.
2: Okay.
0: You know,
1: they're all, I think they're all winners.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Very good. Is there ever is there a chance of any live Professor in the Madman shows? Considering where you guys are from,
1: um, I don't know. Just it's you know it's very expensive to for English musicians to work in America these days. Yes, you know, when yes. Donald Trump says he doesn't want any immigrants. He means me.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> you know, it's not so. It's now kind of unless you can actually earn quite a lot of money. It's not cost effective to you know bring me out that's you know but otherwise I'd actually love to you know do some stuff with them because mm. I, I really like I really like what we've done I think it's great and I like them to work with these people they're smart and they've been you know they kind of know what's what and it makes life really easy because we've all sort of been round the block a few times and we all know kind of what's going to waste time and what's going to be counterproductive and, and so it, it makes a very easy working relationship you know
0: Oh, good. Well, um, the record is called Professor and the Madman Disintegrate Me, and um, I just, I want to thank you, thank you very much for just, for your willingness to get on the phone while you're in the studio, and, oh. uh, you know, we I touched on this before, but really, like, your drumming did set the tone for the whole genre of punk and hardcore, and then for multiple generations, so thank you for that, and you know the combination. But it's not my fault. Well, I wouldn't say. <laughs> Don't blame fault. me for that. do oh, Anyway, <laughs> but but um, thank no, I'm you. I'm just
1: kidding. And it's I... strange though. I I never wanted to take. You know, I never wanted to be responsible for what anybody else did. So.
0: Well that's there uh, you go. You know. Yeah, well you don't have to be responsible, but you can just take the, the good credit when it when it comes along. Um, uh, and no. I and I would like to invite you at some point to be on the show again. Um, maybe when the record your when your solo record is released or something, I do a feature called Peer Pressure where I have my guests um, choose songs and kinda of do a little guest DJ thing and talk about them, which we can do on the phone also. So. That
2: sounds like great. To, fun. To you for
0: that. Excellent. Well, thank you and, and enjoy your time in New York. It's, um, we are honored that you're here, and oh, uh, you. really wonderful to talk to you. So thank you so much.
1: Nice to talk to you. Thank you, listeners. Right, thank take you. care. All right, bye.
0: Bye, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna hear Space Walrus from the Professor and the Madman record.
2: Thanks.
0: And that concludes another podcast episode. Thanks for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze, and Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. My regular WFMU program right now airs Thursdays, noon to 3 p.m., For an expanded version with lots of music, wisecracks, ticket giveaways, music news, and other fun stuff, check me there. The full link to my index of WFMU programs, including podcasts and regular radio shows, is wfmu.org slash playlists slash DK. That's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if if there is something that you'd like to see reposted, whether you missed it or whether you just loved it and wanna hear it again, drop me a line at diane at wfmu.org and request that. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you like it. Please rate it and review it. And there you go, WFMU, peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.